Hey y'all, Sherry Nicole here. Remember me? <laughs> for real. Black Woman Working is back. I'm so sorry for the hiatus. Life was lifing, but we're here and we're here with a really great episode to kick off this season. We have Janae Folston and we have Jocelyn Hunter and we are here to talk about coping with grief and loss. Truth be told, Black women feel pressure to be strong and self-sufficient while grieving but we don't have to. For black women, the grief and challenges are faced disproportionately with death and illness and coping with challenging circumstances, but we're also subdued to this high pressure of being the person that supports everyone. These expectations of still having to fulfill while you're unfulfilled or sacrifice when you do not want to are real things. In fact, what we've realized through this conversation and what we know is that grief is universal. We all feel it. But the way people experience it is simply not. As Black women, our grief stories are severely underreported, diminishing our ability to share openly about what grief and coping mechanisms and what we need to get to the other side. Also, Black women narratives in the public conversation are severely diminished. So we feel loneliness, we feel a sense of hopelessness, and we're ending that. We are ending that. So today, I hope that you will enjoy this episode with Jocelyn Janae as they talk to us about Black women working on coping with loss and grief. And I hope that you get some tools that you can put into your toolbox and you can share with others around these topics. While it may be for Black women, we strongly believe that this is going to help everyone. All right. Welcome back, y'all. Black Women Working. Here we go. All right. We are joined today here on Black Women Working with some amazing women who are going to help us deal with and understand how to manage grief as well as how to cope with loss. And I mean loss on all scales, loss of a job, loss of a partner, loss of relationship, loss of self, and kind of just navigating what that can be. So before we jump straight into the conversation, I'm going to let them tell you individually about themselves and kind of what they do to support Black women and the community in general around mental health, and relationships, et cetera. So, Janae, will you tell us a little bit? Hi. Well, yes, I'm Janae Folston, originally from Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, recently here in North Carolina in Wilmington. I am a marriage and family um, therapist associate. I've been doing this work for over 15 years, and um, yeah, that's a little bit there. (laughs) Yep. And Jocelyn? Hi, everyone. I'm Jocelyn Hunter. I am a native of New Orleans, Louisiana. I have been in Wilmington, North Carolina for about five years now. Um, I am a licensed clinical social work associate waiting on the licensure to come in. And but it's I coming. Am, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, I recently moved into private practice. I'm the owner of a practice called Journey to Healing. I see all women, teens to older women, and in particular, most of my clients are women of color. I love it. Well, congratulations, because we definitely need more people of color, women of color in these roles. So thank you for taking that heavy for us. And I never even thought about the concept of loss of community. I mean, you're saying you come from New Orleans and all I hear is Katrina and just like dealing with that loss, you know, is 
is even that same type of concept. So as we dive into this conversation, let me just kind of set the stage. You know, one thing I will say is that I know I don't stand alone where there's a lot of people in my family or my friend circle, my close friends who are dealing with some type of loss in general, um, either just the loss of a position, but really loss of self, just trying to figure out their identity again, post COVID or, you know, whatever it may be. And so I guess just starting to understand that concept of grief and loss. And I really want this to be a conversation around how we can help each other grow and how to navigate and cope because that's something that's always going to be a part of our lives. I'm sure you all would agree to that. But when you talk to your clients or you talk to your family members, even when you're talking to yourself, what is grief? Like, what is that concept of grieving or grief? And how do we navigate that just in the concept of when it's presented to us? What do you, what do you think? So grief is, is an immediate loss, right? And it's a space where something in your life is, you, you've lost something. And for me, I think being a black woman, we are constantly losing things and constantly in a space of loss. Yeah. And so grief, yes, I do want to get into grief of death of fam family members and close family members, but I do appreciate that you are bringing it widespread because it is deeper than that, especially for women of color for various reasons. Um, so I won't go into that. So I'm no, sure it's going to be a question. No, go into it. Okay. So I think for us, we lose in a lot of different areas. Um, I know for me coming up, I, I grieved a mother who was living. And so how do you grieve a mom who was living? Now, when I was a teenager, a young adult, I didn't know that. But as I became a therapist and did my work, I understood a lot of my emotions and where I had disconnect with individuals was because of a disconnect with a relationship with my mom. Wow. And so we were really tight from birth to like eight, nine, something happened. Won't get into that for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> but it was something that was said to me and then a disconnect. And then some of her behaviors where she wasn't in that mother role and someone else had to step in. Mm. And so I lost my mother even though she was alive, mm. to life and situations that she chose to partake in and not being present for me. So when we talk about grief, this is near and dear to me because yeah. I lived, breathed it, as well as lost you know, family members who are no longer here with us. No, that's a really great point to make is that grief doesn't always have to come at a loss of life. It can be a present day and you can literally have that space still being you're still trying to cope with it and they're alive. Wow, that's 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 powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Awesome. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, one of the things uh, Janine made me think about is I feel like grief, as we talk about what grief looks like, I think that we put these judgments or labels on certain types of grief. Mm -hmm. So how we're sitting here, like standing in agreement with you that that must have been difficult, right? And But wondering what other people might like there are times where people will say it's okay to grieve this or that in this way, but maybe not this, right? Which is why I like that you brought to the platform the idea of grieving across, you know, a number of losses, job mm -hmm. losses, relationship losses, family members that have passed away. I feel like um, grief because of death of a loved one is readily accepted in some ways. It's almost like we expect people to grieve, right? But what does grief look like for someone like you who might be grieving someone who is alive, right? Yeah. Um, and what's your space around that? There's shame, I feel like, in certain spaces oh, yeah. around loss as well. Yeah, shame, yeah. embarrassment, comparison, mm -hmm. all those, you know, mm -hmm. words. And 
I think about that. When I thought about grief, mine immediately came to the loss, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, for me, every, many people know I lost my brother um, when I was 15 mm -hmm. from an asthma attack, literally watched him take his last breath. Mm -hmm. And to me, my world shattered, right? Because mm -hmm. he was that person who stood in for my, as my father figure. He mm -hmm. stood in as my protector, you know? And so I can immediately associate grief with absence, mm -hmm. right? But I never thought about that absence of the living. And like, now you got me thinking about different relationships mm -hmm. around that. When you think about, you mentioned, Jocelyn, grief, as well as mourning, as well as mm -hmm. how, what is the difference around that? Like, because I, I think we use those words interchangeably, but they're not. Yeah. They're not the same. Yeah, I agree with Janae that grief is attached to loss. I feel like this is how I think about it. And some of this is cultural and from upbringing, right? Here's the New Orleans thing again. For me, grief is like when there is loss, I feel like grief can very much be an internal experience of loss, right? It could be. But then when we think about how people mourn, right? For me, I see that as like a longing, almost like an outward expression. But in my upbringing, we were praised for the ways in which we grieve, right? Like, you know, second lines and brass bands oh, yes. and putting it oh, on the yes. shirts and celebrating life. And you know how you talk about um, like having friends around and you might be dancing and they amp you up kind of thing? We call it bucker up. So like if you're missing a loved one, you're dancing, the band is playing, you are encouraged to outwardly mourn, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so for me, I think about, like, I could be grieving very quietly in, in an isolated way, but I could be mourning sort of out loud. But it also makes me think about, like, what is what is acceptable in the way we cope through loss? Right. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for different people? And different communities, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, you're Absolutely. right. When it comes to New Orleans, there is a unique way of how you grieve. But in the Midwest, we, you know, if you put somebody's face on a T-shirt, mm -hmm. they almost look at you as, like, mm -hmm. an outcast. Like, mm -hmm. it's almost like, you know, why are you doing that? This person, you know, like, it's not a a good perspective of representing their life, right? Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. Different communities mourn it differently or accept grief and death and dying and all of that different. Wow, mm -hmm. that is, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Whew. Yeah. So, because <laughs> it's heavy, right? It like, is. And you know, I just yes. Mm, mm. Okay. So, what when you think about grief, like people like to say, I, I know that when, when again, I'm gonna go back to loss of life, or like when you grieving a lost or loved one, that it'll give you time, give it time, and you know, time heals. Mm -hmm. Time really don't always heal. So when when does grief end? Like, I mean, as as counselors, as therapists, like, how do you negotiate the time of grief for your patients, and how do you help them find palpable ways to like see growth from that? I think people have to understand that we're all different, and we all have different backgrounds. We are humans, and we are very vast in who we are as individuals, and so each individual will grieve at their pace. Some people won't grieve at all. Mm -hmm. And some people will grieve for years and years and years. So grief can last anywhere from a year until whenever the person decides they no longer want to grieve and they may take that to their death, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think what I do with my clients, especially individuals of color, is let's talk about the emotions attached to the grief, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about what's the root of this grief and let's make sure it's not your trauma speaking, that it's actually grief, right? Mm -hmm. What? Let's talk through this and find out what are you grieving? Are you grieving the loss of the individual? Are you grieving the relationship? Are you grieving something that they did? Are you grieving a specific emotion mm. attached to this person? 
that's the key to starting the process in therapy of really understanding what I'm grieving and why I grieve either very heavy or why I'm disconnected. Some people are even disconnected from their grief. Mm -hmm. So there's such a, a wide span of answers to that question that it really depends on the individual. And I think Jocelyn would definitely agree there that there is emotions attached to our grief and we have to understand them, whether it's us as clinicians, because we, I know I have my own therapist or, or, or our clients. We really want to make sure they understand what is it that you're really feeling. I'd like people to sit in the space to be able to understand what am I feeling and why am I feeling this? Am I disappointed? Am I disappointed because of the loss? Or am I disappointed because I didn't do something? I didn't get the chance to do something. I didn't say something Mm -hmm. or I left it undone or I like all the punishment that they're trying. Yeah. 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 I think uh, to your point, I think early on we learned like these stages of grief and like (laughs) it's so old. It's like so, um, but you know, like this, uh, denial anger Mm -hmm. depression acceptance bargaining and I think the the thing you're hitting on is maybe sometimes the bargaining piece right and I find this too in particular with my clients that are black women that getting in touch with the emotion that's attached to this is the key a lot of times people don't know they're like what do you mean by how how do I feel about it I don't like it it sucks I'm sad right but not really wanting to sit with it for a while like you know not really not understanding that it's okay to sit with it and yes attached for example I lost um my aunt a couple years ago she was my mother's sister but she was more than my mother's sister mm-hmm. right the moment I opened my eyes in this world before I knew who I was looking at she was standing there with my mom right and I realized over time my grief related to that was not so much that she left because she lost her um partner in marriage who she'd been with for so long and a couple years after he passed away so did she right mm-hmm. and so when you when I processed that with my own therapist because mm-hmm. I absolutely agree that we should have therapists I learned a lot of it was about um guilt the emotion was guilt the, how did I not know she was sick How did her sons not know she was sick? Why didn't we do something different, like bargaining? Like, you know, maybe I should have did this or that, and maybe she was still here. I didn't call enough. I didn't check enough. What did I miss? Mm -hmm. No, you're... Yes. Okay. (laughs) It's like, so what got me thinking is what I started started looking on my phone. You guys didn't see it, but I I did. And I screenshotted this thing that I saw this morning from a friend. She said, grief is very sneaky. A sound, a scent, Mm -hmm. a song, a smile that becomes tears. And that's kind of what I heard you saying is that bargaining tool, like, you know, something comes up and it reminds her, something does this. And I know for me, like, my brother and I, we used to run together. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows I run. Mm -hmm. I run two miles a day. And when I couldn't run, my whole goal was to get back to running. And Mm -hmm. now I run. And even when I don't want to run, I still run because it's this connection Mm -hmm. that I feel with my brother when we get those connections or we get those smiles or that song or that scent or something, how do we, and you say sit in it, Mm -hmm. right? Like you you want us to sit in it. How do we sit in it in a way that is progressive Mm -hmm. and not punitive? I guess I want to say like, where we don't feel sad, but we can find joy. What is a mechanism or a technique or something that we can do Mm to rid ourselves of that guilt or yeah so what I would say first is what you just read um to me sounds like a trigger mm-hmm. right so something that activates that response in us with regard to that person and again that emotion so what I would say is I hope that your listeners know that you should be in therapy or have a therapist if you don't psychology today is the best play one of the best places to go to find one um 
But my thing is allowing someone to help you to learn techniques on how to sit in it. And so you just said to us that running is that space for you. So when you run, you can feel the good, but you're actually releasing some of the other mm -hmm. emotions that you feel connected to that with regard to sadness or some of those other things. So my thing to clients is what is it that you need to do to be able to release that emotion, but also know that it's not a horrible space to, to be in, right? You got back to running, but I know that wasn't, that couldn't have been immediate for you. Mm -mm. That had to take time. And so taking the time that you need to process through all of this is the most important thing. And as you process, you are sitting in it. Mm -hmm. So I want people to understand when we say sit in it, and sometimes it sounds harsh, we are actually saying during all that space and time that you're having, that you are dealing with this emotion unknown to the world because we keep everything inside. You spoke a little bit about it earlier, and I'm sure we're going to get there, but especially for black women, that superwoman complex. And that thing really annoys me because we are the epitome of that complex. We ha think we have to hold everything and we have to bear up everything, undergird everybody, jobs, people, relationships, family. Mm -hmm. And then it's like when we're ready to release, how do I even do this? Where do I even start? Where? Where do I, where do I, what is this? Yeah. And I think that's where the therapy and safe space comes in. Mm -hmm. I always add safe space yes. because y'all, I wish everybody would go to therapy. Everybody, all therapists and counselors included. But I always say everyone's not going to make it to the office in front of the couch. Yes. It's just a fact, right? We do what we can advocacy wise. We will mm -hmm. share all the time. We even have therapists, those kinds of things, but everybody won't make it. And so I, always, I like to say safe space because there is someone or some space hopefully right or that that is safe for you and it is in that space that you can process safely and figure out what works for you because that's another thing people feel like they see someone grieve or mourn right in a specific way and that's the way i need to do it right exactly. yeah no we are all different our needs are different our coping styles are different you could tell one client you should i have clients who might say teach me the technicalities of meditating like i want to breathe i want to do deeper and you have clients that's like that don't work for me like what can i do and i think to your point, uh, Janine, the time and space is that sometimes you can make suggestions. It's about the safe space and relationship you build to figure out what works with that person and then coming alongside them and saying, okay, that works for you, Sherry. Like running is a thing in which you honor your brother and now you're in a place where you feel like you can do that as a way to honor your relationship with him and that works well for you. Sometimes people are not ready for that and sometimes people will never get there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's about figuring out what works. For me, the difference is intention. Like where you are in your grieving process and it's about intention. So for example, right now you have on a lovely leopard headband and no one can see. <laughs> my thing with my aunt was ladybugs and leopard. So I intentionally have so many scars. My tennis shoes right now that they can't see has leopard on it. It's for her, right? There are days where I intentionally wear it because it carries me through the day. There are days where someone else wears it and I break down. It's not triggering for me now. I've worked through those things. There's days where I put it on and I hadn't done it with intention and it hit me different than when I did it yes. with intention, right? Yes. Um, and so I think that makes a difference. But I had to sort that out in therapy. Mm -hmm. This is a way you want to honor her? Okay, you know, uh, okay, so this is, these are the things you might wear, the places you might go in honor of that relationship. But the intention and the timing is everything. And all of that is different, like by person, across time. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned it. There may be one day where you feel like, the leopard and the ladybugs are good, but you could be in a different space the next day, and that's the last thing you can see or bear to see mm -hmm. in order to to heal. It, it it hits different every time. So what I'm hearing is 
it, running, for, since we've used this as an analogy, running may work for me for right now, but it may not work for me in six months. Mm -hmm. It may become something that I can't do because I'm in a different space in my emotion with the loss. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I hear is continually to work on techniques and have different alternatives mm -hmm. as much as possible for whatever may face, because life is throwing you curveballs every day. And so that, that's what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. Janae, you brought it up, so I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. So black women, right? <laughs> so we are told to do the most. We like to be the most. We don't mm. like to show, you know, um, we don't feel like we can show weakness. Um, and when we do show weakness, people don't know how to receive it. I think they're almost afraid when we cry. And, you know, like, how do we ask for help? How do I mean? Yes, we can. If you're strong enough and you're and you're in a safe space, a brave safe space, mm -hmm. you can always say like, I knew who to call when I wanted to have this. I knew I wanted you all. I knew I needed it. Right. This is therapeutic for me. How do we get Black women to say help? Help me. Mm. This is one of those moments in therapy where Why are we on I'm, that I'm, no, no, no. And I'm gonna address that because this is beautiful, right? So this is that space in therapy where you just allow the silence because it needs a moment of silence. And why it needs a moment of silence? Because we have to let go of that association with superwoman and women of color. And we need to start to grieve that. Where we did need it to come release from? it. That, I think that's a whole history lesson there of just where we come from, our forefathers, our family, generational. Enslavement. Yes, yeah. all of those village things. Village mentality, who carries the village, who yeah. does what, you know. All of that is associated yeah. to me with that superpower mentality. For mm -hmm. me, I even was jotting down notes and I was like, why do we do this? And I think it's one, it is cultural. Two, it's some, most of us come from families where we are first generation, right? Well, some of us come from families where it's like, I saw that, I don't want that, I need something different. So now I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Yes. So I am in a survival mode. I am in this mode of I am tunnel vision. And now I need to get there. My thing is, what I want black women to do is create spaces for themselves. One thing that I I learned from myself and even in this move and my transition to North Carolina was find your safe spaces. Mm -hmm. We have to be intentional. You talked about intention, intentional, intentional about finding people that can support us, finding spaces where we're not always feeling like I have to be the, the, the head person in the room. I have to be the best in the room. I think for me again, and I'm going to continuously say this, is you have to go to therapy. You need to have a coach. You need to have someone in your corner that can help you navigate space. Mm -hmm. Because for Black women, depending on where you are in life, where you go to school, where you work, those kind of things, most of us are in spaces with predominantly white people. That is unsafe territory for us so we're always on always armed <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that always mm -hmm. on and armed mm -hmm. and so for us when do I get to just leave and just be Janae or when do you get to just be Sherry mm -hmm. like right why do I always have to be the person that has to be 
on all the time. And again, because I've been, I've trained my brain that I have to get to this point, that I need to be at this place, that now I'm just so focused on that that I don't even realize that I'm tearing myself apart. Mm. And I say that for self because I went through a phase of life where I did that to myself. And I was like, okay, this is not healthy. What's happening? And so I had to do the work to get to where I am. And I had to find those people to become my safe spaces. Because if I didn't, I would not be healthy, like at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us as Black women, we have to be intentional about finding your safe spaces. Be intentional about finding other women who are where you are in life and doing the things that you enjoy. Be intentional about finding the space where you're loved. That to me is key. If you aren't in spaces where no one is showing you love, I'm going to need you to run for the hills. Because if you're not receiving authentic love where people really are celebrating you, Mm -hmm. you're going to literally, physically, emotionally, body, mind, soul, die. Mm -hmm. Even though you're still living because you're always feeling like, I can't find my space. And so for us, that is always the hard part of even being women of color when we are at our best or doing great or having businesses or owning, uh, you know, even being therapists. Like people think, oh, they're the greatest people in the world. We have stuff too. And then we see people from 8 a.m. to 4 or 5 p.m. And you absorb some And we have some of that that we have to process. Mm -hmm. I am a human being and I've learned to take space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, what I would have to say is, we can't be everything to everybody without having people assisting us and being something for us. Yeah, for sure. And having conversations like this with other black women. Yes. I think, I know some therapists have clients often will have the idea that like, to your point, we have it all together. Like there's nothing going on. And I'm like, oh, I got a backpack of my own stuff, right? So I need to be working on that. And then yes, we are taking in a lot. That burden is, the, the pile is piling higher, right? Cause we carry so much. And so we need to unload that as well. But I think like one of, I think the most important things in, to model as a black woman therapist for other black women is that I am also human. Like, yes, there is an appropriate amount of disclosure, but if there's a day where a client's like, you all right, you look a little, I had a rough day, you know? Um, or there might be people that go and look online and be like, well, yeah, I'm not, my kiddo's going through a little something, you know what I'm saying? To an appropriate level, but to see that you're human helps them too, because yeah, we really them. do struggle with um, emoting, like getting in touch with our feelings and emotions and, and understanding and knowing that that's okay. Right. And so to be in spaces with other black women where we're doing things like this, right. I would imagine that you always have experienced grief, but there's some things about Sherry's story that I don't know related to her brother. You know what I mean? And so having these open conversations and being honest, cause it's like, we're all in our different spaces, carrying these heavy loads siloed and alone sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes depending on where we are in the grief process, we isolate more. But how powerful is it to be amongst other black women and understand that they also have a grief story, right? And that we can share those stories with one another and remove that veil of like, shame or take the cape off for a minute and say listen or throw the cape away please <laughs> trash it trash burn it burn it light it on fire yes. no someone gave us that cape that we didn't want but we feel like we have to carry and okay the one thing that i wanted to ask before we continue is what if i can't afford a therapist mm-hmm. you, you you talk about coaches who where do i go because a lot of times we hear get a therapist and we are 
privileged in the aspect that we do have the capacity to have one, mm -hmm. right? But for those who are still finding their way or using podcasts or mm -hmm. using, you know, free things that they can mm -hmm. to um, help manage emotions during hard times or difficult situations, what other thing can they do that's financially um, progressive for them, right? Or, or it meets where their, their need is right now until they mm -hmm. can have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Are there other, uh, is there like... I feel like I'm really creative when it comes to this because I also have teen clients, some of which have been trying to get in therapy for a while, but may have family members that gatekeep as it relates to that. Like, I think this is okay or it's not okay for you. I decide when you go or not. And to your point, our community doesn't often have the resources, right? So it's not, therapy is not as accessible, right? I think um, for one, you mentioned psychology today earlier. I'm a fan, total fan of people looking there because they can choose preferences, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of this is about comfortability and having that, we call it therapeutic alliance, but being able to relate in the way they need to, have identities the way they need to. And to see. And to see, to see what person. people look like. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, um, for black women, a lot of times they'll say, well, I chose you because you look like me, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're real, like it was you and this other lady and this other lady, she was full and then, I don't yes. know, you had natural <laughs> hair. Like there yes. would be, you know, this is like the, the real. And the twist. And right, it's like, like, well, you okay. answered first and last time this person, and sometimes it might be me that doesn't answer yeah. as fast there's a limited number of black women therapists in the community for sure there are some therapists that have um sliding scales i know yes. i do a couple pro bono clinic clients a year like mm -hmm. no one only a therapist has control of that but i would say at least try in yes. particular if they say sliding scale and and just ask you never know um that's the one thing and then i'm gonna say that for our community i think that um a supportive group of friends if you have access church i think is a huge support for a lot of black women when they cannot access therapy there are a lot of self-help resources out there mm -hmm. i would say be careful <laughs> in what the sources <laughs> might be and then i really personally believe and i've done some research in this area i think media can be powerful if used in the right way so mm -hmm. if you don't have access you know, talk to and um, I know elders are a big deal for us in the community, mm -hmm. right? Ask an elder, you know, who might be a positive influence I can find online and look at some of their self-help resources. Listen to their podcast, right? Mm -hmm. oh, I know a lady named Sherry. She's real positive. She's doing X, Y, and Z. Listen to her podcast. Yeah. So that kind of thing, having others help you navigate what some of those positive outlets might be. Um, yeah. I totally agree, Jocelyn. And again, I am also a fan of psychology today for all of those reasons. Um, I guess when you're on the platform, you get it. Um, so I would just say, if you do not have the funds in, in everything Jocelyn just said, find a mentor, know what your goals are and what you want to accomplish. And a mentor can also assist you with that. Mm -hmm. If you are unsure of what those goals are, if you're unsure of what you're dealing with, then you just ask someone to help you to be accountable to a specific um, area or um, thing that you're trying to get to in life at this point. They may not be able to give you the clinical that you need as a therapist would, but they would be a support for you. What I would say is in my younger years as a teenager, as a young adult, I had several mentors and they all assisted me in various ways to become the woman that I am today. Even in high school, I had mentors and didn't even realize these people was like supportive and had my back and helped me to get to where I am today. So 
even in the midst of not knowing the clinical aspects of what I needed to do or what what was really going on with me, those individuals pushed me into doing and being my best self. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the goal of what we're getting at today, specifically for women of color, is how do I become my best self? Mm -hmm. What tools do I need to put in place to become that person that I desire to be without putting all the pressure on myself, but doing it organically and in a healthy way? Yeah, Mm -hmm. just so that while we still move towards our goals or as we want to achieve the next level, whatever that may be, and if we fall, because we will, yes. that it's the nature of life, or if we lose something, or if we don't get picked for that position, or we get looked over, we need to know how to cope and manage that because that is also a loss. Two of the things that I know me and my girlfriends, we often talk about is you know, dealing with relationships. I found love very late, I guess I would say, in life, um, in my 40s. Wasn't looking for it at that time. At that point, I think I had settled on the concept that I was going to be single and, you know, and I was going to dedicate 80-20 to work or, you know, goals. And then it kind of hit me and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go 80-20 on this love thing, right? (laughs) But how do we, when we talk about grief, a lot of that is also identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like people assume that we should reach this thing at this age. Mm-hmm. And then if we don't reach that at this age, then we also harbor that. And that goes in our in our emotional backpack that we start to carry and start to look at ourselves different. How do we as black women also negate that and just be like, I'm enough? You know, I'm enough right now. And whatever comes my way in the future, that'll be enough then. But not to minimize who I am right now because maybe I'm not at at your love right or I'm not at your level or whatever that how 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 do we get through that type of so I will say even even what you just said the levels thing what is the level Right. Who's like Mr. Mrs. Jones or the Joneses or whatever? That was once my last name and it set me up. It set me up. I'm no longer Mrs. Jones for the record and all the listeners. So I really, I really, really feel like everybody gets to where they are supposed to be at the time that they are supposed to get there. Mm -hmm. And what's for you you is for you. It's for you, even with the job loss. I had job losses. I had jobs that you didn't get the job. I probably was overqualified for, but then turn around and I got opportunities that surpassed that. Mm -hmm. We have to understand within ourselves where we are. Sherry, I am still single and only because I choose to because I have a standard, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that there aren't people or uh, men that I would like to date, but I have a standard and I want women to understand you can still have that standard and there are fish in the sea, ladies. I just want you to know that (laughs) there is someone for everyone. I wholeheartedly believe that, but I am choosing in this season of my life to build my practice, build my, Mm -hmm. build some things for myself. I still have a son in college. I'm trying to get through financially. I work all the time. Where do I have space to fit someone into that? That's, it goes right? back to what you said. You, just like you have to create space for healing and loss, you have to create space for mm-hmm. if that's what you want. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can't find a man in your living room. Mm-hmm. So, you, I mean, like you have to go out and say, I'm going to create the space where I'm going to go out and intentional, and be intentional Intention. and things of that nature. So I agree. I, and, I, and I think that the level thing is really hard because it's not just something that black women do to each other. Cause we do it to each other, mm-hmm. but it's also something that society puts on us too. I mean, I, in a previous podcast shared that I had to have a hysterectomy to save my life. 
And so I will not be able to bear children, but I will have, you know, children in love from my honey or we may decide to foster or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that, that I had to grieve that loss, yeah. right? So I, I, I want to change it to the idea of like that loss of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that one of my girlfriends, she ended up having breast cancer at a very young age and when I had to have my hysterectomy she called me she said the way that she healed is she wrote a letter to her to her to her breast right Mm -hmm. and she kind of like talked about that loss and what it felt like Mm -hmm. and so I did the same thing I I wrote to my my body and and gave it grace that it saved my life and I was appreciative of that Mm -hmm. um how like what technique do you recommend around loss that could be helpful and and you could take it from any angle loss of a relationship loss of identity well you know for me journaling works this has been really great for me to start black women working to have the opportunity to have these spaces but what other techniques that could be something that's useful that could help someone as they manage loss of or 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 even bad news or or challenging news Mm -hmm. i wish to say yeah, journaling is a powerful therapeutic tool, and there are some modalities we learn that say this absolutely has to be included, right? Um, I, I, there are people who enjoy journaling and writing. Your point, I think it started with this thing we call the empty chair, right? You could you could write it down, but you could also be in safe space, safe, brave space, and speak to the lost, right? The same way in which you write to the lost. Um, there are people who hate journaling. They're like, this just doesn't work for me. Um, usually for one or two reasons. Sometimes people are like, when I free write, nothing's coming up for me. And sometimes it's because in front of that, they need a little more time to process through the emotions with and someone to help it, them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even give them the space. Like sometimes you have to get grounded literally in session so that you can open up to sort of, you know, figure out what those feelings or emotions are, sort through them, and then you can write, right? Um, other people, that. <laughs> They're vlogging, like, you know, people will voice record because they're not comfortable writing for certain reasons, right? I did that for a while, too. The other thing I want to say that I think we forget about is that we intuitively have, now this I feel like is ancestral, like sometimes we grieve in healthy ways but don't know that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a dance party, you're like, girl, I just feel so good. That was the best that 3LW really, yeah. party I ever been through. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, I just feel amazing. That movement, right, even things like running, left-right movement, that's bilateral stimulation. Like, people mm-hmm. don't know that. It's doing something to your brain. When you have adverse events, including, you know, other traumas, but also grief, right, you cross these pathways that kind of have you sit in these places where you can't emote or your one part of your nervous system is activated, the other is not. Mm-hmm. Dancing, left-right movement, running, walking, it does that for you, Right. I had a friend recently say, I lost a loved one. I couldn't do anything but sit on the floor. But then I felt better and I got up. I'm like, you're grounding yourself. You just don't realize it. <laughs> Things like you're the soil. The tech, yes, but yeah. you don't realize it. Yeah. You know, take your shoes off and walk in the soil. Nature, our mm-hmm. ancestors d- did those things. There are reasons why we feel better in those spaces, but we don't realize it. And I know I keep coming back to the word intention, but those are things that a mental health professional or a mentor or a support person, right? If they even had an experience before and that awareness can say, you should try this, this worked for me. You should try that. Maybe you'll pick something up that works well for you. But a lot of this, y'all, we naturally know. We just don't know with intention that it's helping our healing process. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's ever an ED on the end of healing. Like I named my practice yeah. Journey to Healing and people are like, I feel healed now. And I'm like, oh, I'll see you in a couple weeks. Well, like <laughs> yeah, like it never no ends. ED. There's always an ING. There's always an mm. ING. You could do all the work proactively and intentionally to grieve. And it could be five years later, mm-hmm. right? And you could be like, dang, it reminded me of that man. 
what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Is it okay for me to feel this way? You just never know, right? We're always healing. And there are, there are processes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there are parallel processes. Mm -hmm. Loss of a loved one. Loss of a, a, fit, a relationship that we thought was going to be the end-all, be-all, right? These things are happening in parallel. So how do we think we can ever put an ED in a period? Never. Mm, Never. Definitely not that period. And, yeah, <laughs> and, I th and I think that acceptance is freeing. I think that helps the healing process. Like, okay, I will never get to a place where I'll be fully over this thing and be like, I'm healed. When you understand that this is an ongoing process and that we all go through it, it gives you some freedom. And that it has hills and valleys. It's not going to be a straight line to it. You may have a good day where you feel really good. And the next day, you can't get out of bed. And you got to accept both emotions of that. And that's okay. And that's the part of, of sitting in it and being okay. Now, I don't want anybody to sit in the bed for days upon days upon days. But I want you to be okay that if you need that day, take that then day. take the day. Mm -hmm. I think the pressure that we put on ourselves to say, if I take this day, I'm going to be whatever it is you put at the end of that. Instead, take the day and say, tomorrow will be better. Mm -hmm. Right? Frame it. I want you to be able to, to, to frame the, the, your, your, your life. And, and you are the narrator of your life, right? You create what you want to happen for you. So if you know that today I am having a bad day and that's okay, but that's when you use that word, but tomorrow mm -hmm. I'm going to be intentional, Jocelyn's word, about making it a better day, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and you're, what you're speaking about, Janae, with framing is even like, so sadness, depression, mm -hmm. right, is a normal part of the grief process, mm -hmm. right? Now, it looks different from person to person, but it's a normal part of the grief process. Even when people are depressed and it has nothing to do with grief, or at least they haven't even made though that, that, that attachment, that connection mm -hmm. yet, um, I always say to your point, like, give yourself grace, but hold yourself accountable. Yes. So that's the but for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not feeling good right now. Um, I think I might take a day or I want to lie in bed. I'm off today, but I want to lie in bed till one o'clock. Give yourself that grace. Set a timer to hold yourself accountable. Yes. So you're telling yourself, and this is a strategy I use with clients all the time. You're telling yourself, yes, it's okay for you to sulk for a little while. That's okay. But at 1 p.m., I'm going to get up and take a shower. Yes. And you will be shocked at how that activates other things. If you just hold yourself accountable for that one flip, that one change, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just need to get out of the bed and get in the shower. And then before you know it, it's two and three o'clock. All right, well, I made myself a smoothie yeah. or I went to check the mailbox, <laughs> right? I washed clothes. And, and it, it rolls on. Yeah, yeah it rolls on. So yeah, I've done that before where like, even if I get like, um, I would say not great news, but challenging news, I'll sit in and I'm like, okay, hey, you give yourself five minutes, Sherry. Mm -hmm. So I give myself five minutes, whatever that is. If I got to cry or call or talk about it, or, you know, add language to it just to get it out. But when that five minutes is up, I'm moving on. Because there's no good that comes in sitting in that for too long, mm -hmm. you know. Because then you start to in have other emotions, doubt, mm -hmm. anger, you know, all of that thing. So I totally agree with what you're talking about. When, when do we think about medicine? I know that's one thing that many people talk about. As much as culture is still trying to get to the point of having therapists and making therapy okay. I know many of my friends who may have had to take um, medicine to help them with getting to a better mindset. Mm -hmm. how, how and when do you start to have that conversation with your patients and clients? 
I'm not so I'm interested in what Janae's take is. I think people have preferences. I'm not for or against meds. And that's just how I say it to clients. I say I'm for what you think might work best for you and I'm willing to walk that journey with you, right? Mm-hmm. So I have clients that are like, I've been on medication all my life. I want to continue. Cool. We'll make sure you have what you need. We'll monitor that. There are people who are like, I'm absolutely against it. I ask really early on. So if somebody comes in and they say, I'm depressed, I need help, and we start to talk through it, I say, Let's talk about options because I want you to feel better, right? And you can tell me what's okay for you and what's not okay for you. And we have a very early transparent conversation about it so that they feel like I'm not being judgmental or pushy, right? Um, I mean, or I'm, either way. Either way, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I'm neutral. I'm a neutral party in this, but I'll just, I'll walk alongside you, whatever you decide to do. I think it's still, I mean, it's heavily stigmatized. So mm-hmm. I have clients who are like, uh, hell no, I'm not going to get on that. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I, I say I respect that. So let's talk about other options. What else can we do? And then there are clients who are like, to be honest, there are more people on the fence than I realize. I feel like for black women clients, I think once you open up a safe space, they're like, I've been thinking about it, but my mama's saying don't do it. But right. I've been thinking about it. And then we can have a transparent conversation. And I, I tell women all the time, um, if you decide to do it, because you feel like you're having a moment where you're on the edge. This is kind of how I talk about it. Other people have different, but it's like, if you're having an edge moment and you need help, something to help you back up from the edge, that's okay. If you decide to get off it the next day, you can. That's your, that's your right, right? Um, if you decide to get the bottle and not try it, that's also your right. So for me, like as a therapist, it's not, yes, I have my own cultural background and family have views on it, but for me, it's not like my decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I just try to help people make the best informed decision depending on what they think. You provide all their options. All the options, yeah. Yeah. So I would have to agree. I think for me, I'm I'm more of a... um, I wanted to always be a psychologist and not a psychiatrist because I didn't want to give meds, right? Mm -hmm. But then I understand that some people need to have something to be able to maintain life, right? So I think we have to understand when a person comes in with mental health concerns and when that mental health concern is truly a mental health illness that says this person needs to have these meds to be able to balance throughout their day. And so I have clients where they come in, they'll see me because I also do Christian counseling. They will see me, we will talk through it, we'll process. And then I will say, we're at a point where I feel like I want you to go see the psychiatrist because I think that you need to have an assessment. Mm-hmm. And because I need you to have an assessment, here's why. Mm-hmm. And most times I've built that joining process and that, that, that alliance with my clients that they trust what I'm saying. And that is the most important part of the therapeutic process, especially seeing a, clear, a therapist or a licensed clinical counselor because we don't prescribe the meds, but we will say, here's a psychiatrist that you can go to that can prescribe you what you need. I, like I said, am an advocate of the therapeutic process can definitely help you through. We can give you great techniques. We can give you different tools. But if you're in a space where you feel like your every day is that bed day and I just can't move, Mm -hmm. then here's what we're going to do. And I need you to see your primary care doctor because they can also prescribe a a mild uh, prescription for your mental, for this space. Or we're going to have you have an assessment because I'm hearing and seeing some things that my clinical ear is telling me mm-hmm. that you're on, you're, you're going from mental illness, mental health concerns to a mental illness. Yeah. And there's a big difference there. And so we as clinicians definitely have to be able to understand our clients 
and be able to hear clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> with our therapeutic ears yeah. what's happening with them when that transition happens because that is very, very important. There are just some people who have had so much trauma that it's even... such a short amount of time. That you will have to say, here's what we're going to do for you. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do we help now with social media? So, like, one thing that I have to stop doing was scrolling. Um, because, you know, now on social media, when people, I'm, I'm, I'm a sponge, I absorb mm-hmm. anything that I see. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I see a friend who's lost a friend, I, I want to reach out, I want to help, but then that becomes too much outward on me. And so I, I have to learn how to balance mm-hmm. it. But when do I know where to intervene? You know, like sometimes on social media, you'll see someone say, I just can't take one more breath or mm-hmm. I just can't blah. And i and I noticed that becomes a person's outlet, which is why I was asking, mm-hmm. how do I, for the people who cannot receive therapy, they're going to social media and just releasing. When do you as a friend reach out and say, okay, I see that you are having trauma or you're expressing your challenges on social media. Let's try a different mm-hmm. outlet mm-hmm. or something like, how, how do I help that person? You mean and not take it on yourself? And not take it on friend? myself, but at least show that friend that I hear and I see you. Mm-hmm. And just what you just said. Uh-huh. I think, I think, and I, I mean this, Sherry, not just you. I mean for all of us. Like I've done it as well. I think we, we, we care so much about our folks, and we have such empathy, especially if it's somebody close to us. Now, if it's this is somebody you not that close to, you might say, "Oh, I'm concerned," but you might tell another friend, or you might sometimes you might send a note and say, "Hey, I wanted to check in." not your burden to carry all the time and it gets mm-hmm. heavy. Um, but I think we try to overcome because we want to fix it. The truth is like deep down, a lot of times we just want it. We, if it's a friend, you don't want them to have that feeling. Right. You want it to go away. But sometimes I've like started, um, you know, in practicing what I, I preach in a therapeutic space would say, so don't, 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 the urge to fix it, try to let that go. Say what comes to mind. Hey, I see, I just want to let you know that I see you. I hear you. I'm here. Sometimes it could be just that simple. And then if you feel like this person really needs a resource, like I have a high school friend recently who went on a New York, like he was live and you could tell he was experiencing psychosis, which mm-hmm. is a very different, like I try not to talk about symptoms because I don't want to further stigmatize somebody that might be experiencing it, but psychosis, like hearing and seeing things that were not visibly or aud- audibly present. Okay. Um, in that case, I would send a note in there's there are crisis lines mm-hmm. i often will send them the crisis line and say they're available 24 7 by text by email by phone um you can reach out to them or if you know someone that cares for them and you have a safe enough relationship right so this particular guy a lot of high school friends were like well we used to talk to his mom all the time she's aware right so we're just gonna write her and say he's having an episode just wanted to let you know so they don't carry the burden but they feel like they've done the job of checking in mm-hmm. um so i i often will share a crisis line we'll refer them to psych today if it's a close friend sometimes i say um Sometimes I just send hearts by text sometimes. Right. If I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> or, or the words to say. Or yeah. the words to say. I will send a string of purple hearts. And believe it or not, people will tell you later, like, that meant a lot. Because you're mm-hmm. telling them just with that simple thing that you see them and you hear them and you're there. Yes. Yeah. I'm noticing that that has become a lot mm-hmm. more common is that immediate, like, outreach through social media mm-hmm. or the fact that you can and you know you can reach the masses. And rather... It, it, whether it could be, you know, I don't know, like a, a cry for a, a, a cry for help or just for attention, you mm-hmm. never know. But you don't want to not take mm-hmm. it seriously, regardless, you know. Yeah. So I, that helps a lot. 
Um, as, as I know we're coming close to time, and I want to make sure that we talk about like other things that may happen around loss. And a lot of the women, when I told them we were going to do this conversation, the main thing that they talked about was like loss of self. Um, and, you know, trying to get back to me, uh, you know, all the multiple roles I carry and I just want to, I want me, I want to be in the top three of me. Yeah. How, what, what do I, what, what would you recommend? How would you navigate that? What would I, what advice would you give? I think when you get to that point, you finally realize I'm tired and I need to do something different. And when you get to that point, I need you to do the something different. Mm. Sometimes we say it and we communicate it with other people, but we still stay in the same space. And my thing is, when you say it, I want you to do something different. Like we talked about earlier, if you want a husband, you make space for a husband, you prepare yourself for a husband. If you want you and you want to make space for you, you need to sit down and assess your life and see where you are and what you need to take away, where you need to start saying no, and how do I put myself back in this space Mm -hmm. of me being present for me. And I say that with all intention right now because I have been in that space of as I made my transition and releasing a lot of things and people from where I was born and raised, I had to get to the point of what does Janae look like again? Instead of having hands in every single thing and doing and being for everybody, creating space for everybody, Mm -hmm. you can show up, you can call me, I'm Mm -hmm. always available. No, Mm -hmm. pause. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're creating. We are being intentional about this is my space to study or read or love on me. This is my space to just do nothing. And I'm not apologizing for it. And I think that that's the part of this conversation that we're going to take away from today is Jocelyn's be intentional about yourself, whether it's knowing I'm grieving and saying, Hey, be honest. My thing was one thing that I jotted down was when you're grieving, be okay with grieving and tell other people I'm grieving and I need you to give me space. Or I'm grieving and this is what I need for you. Yes, whatever your hand yes. is yeah, to that. Is. But people yes. need to know that I'm in a space of I lost something. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not healthy. I'm not my whole self right now. You want a person that is not whole. You want me to be what I can't even be for self. Mm -hmm. And I need us as women to recognize that. You can't just have one person that's your go-to and you drain and suck life out of that one person. It needs to be a community and make sure your relationships are mutually beneficial and that they're not Mm one-sided. That is another key point. If you're always pouring out and no one's never pouring back into you, there's a problem. Me, I want to be intentional now about sending Sherry hearts. I'm going to send her yellow hearts on a regular because <laughs> I just want to make sure she know that she's good. And I don't want anything, but I want, to, I want you to know that somebody care about you without you having to pour back into them. Mm-hmm. That to me is what we have to do. We have to be the ones to tell other people how to treat us because they're treating us the way that we are putting out there. Yeah, and broken crayons still color. Yes. Like we don't have to be fool all the time. We don't have to be perfect all the time. And then that concept of always having to show up the best is also can be draining. Like it is okay to show up good. 
Mm -hmm. in the most grammatical way it's approach, okay like, to it's show okay. up okay yeah listen it's some <laughs> it days okay. to just be okay with i, I showed here. up i'm here so sometimes yeah just showing up is the job right <laughs> and i think the people that don't respect that are not your people right that's it I, I really appreciate this time more than you know because it helps everyone understand that you guys came in completely authentic. You you came in as therapists, but you are also black women. You're also people who have their own backpacks that you're unpacking and you're still helping other women and the culture understand the need for therapy. We we got a lot of stuff that was passed down to us yeah. and then we have the stuff that we're building in our own life, right? And then we have the things that the people's assumptions and, and all of that coming at us, and we need to know where we can find space. So I would say to the listeners today, find your tribe. I don't want to say tribe. That's not culturally appropriate. But find your people mm -hmm. that are going to be able to protect you, provide for you, and prepare a space for you yes. that can be important and authentic and safe and brave. And you don't have to be all together, mm -hmm. all together all the time. Mm -hmm. As we close, tell people how they can find you and if you're looking if you do you have open openings are you are you ready to build your clientele well Janae's laughing because you know I think we all have waiting lists um I do uh really care about I care about um service to clients alongside them I'm grateful for the space to do the work that I do but black women clients are extremely important to me that said, we often have waiting lists, black women therapists in the community, but still reach out. Um, there are other ways, just like we heal individually, we should heal as a community because we also have community grieving, Trauma, right? Yeah. Things that we need to, to process as individuals, but also collectively. Um, I can be found on psychology. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Because Search, it, yeah. it helped, you went back to the navigation tool that they can find if they travel, if they need to go somewhere yeah. else. So yeah. psychology today is the place to start. Yeah. Search uh, Jocelyn Hunter. Um, It'll pop up and have Journey to Healing there. And like sometimes if you Google Jocelyn Hunter Therapist or other people's names therapist, it will still bring you to that same Psychology Today link. Yeah. Um, some folks have web pages. Mine's under construction for the new practice. But, but that's yes. actually a really great way. You're under construction, too. I'm under yes. construction. That's, that's a, forever under construction. Yes, that, that's we are forever, forever. under yes, construction. That, that ED and ING, well, that's going to stick to yes. me. I, that, that was real. Yeah. You are always healing. Who's to say that they're ever really healed? Mm -hmm. And be okay with that. Yeah. Where can we find you today? So I am um, a clinician at Cassiano Clinical Services. So anybody who hears this from Connecticut, I am a clinician with them. I do do coaching as well, mental health coaching as well as career coaching, but it all goes in alignment. That is also on Psychology Today. So you can find me as well on Psychology Today. It's just a good platform for us as clinicians. Again, you'll see everything that I do there. I do have a preference as well with women and children, um, especially young female teenagers, um, having some things that I dealt with in my teen years. I have a heart for young, young adults who are females and women in various uh, stages, stages of their lives. So um, Psychology Today, Cassiano Clinical Services, and I am prepping for um, my own practice that will be available at the end of the year. So in licensing phase, so all things will be coming to fruition. But I've been a coach and a consultant since 2007. Yep. So as we close, just know that even those who help us are still growing, learning, healing, and it is okay. And reach out where you can 
and when you can and how you can. And if there are opportunities for you to receive a therapist, please look into therapy. Psychology Today is the word to find that. But if not, find your people that can be mentors or sponsors and can help create a space for you to begin your healing and to continue your healing. With that, Black Woman Working is grateful for Janae and for Jocelyn today and for all of you listening. And we wish you happy healing and a happy day. Thank you. This episode is a wrap. It felt so good to be back as much as I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Look forward to our next episode dropping March 31st, 2023. And special thanks to Janae and to Jocelyn for all the jewels shared. And to everyone out there, may you use those tools to continue to cope as you deal with grief and loss and realize that we're all in this together. Talk soon, everyone. Thank you.